what we believe we believe. You want to be a Christian. You want to live the Christian life. But you've never learned how to live the Christian life. You're listening to Tellius Talk, a podcast on being complete in Christ, hosted by Buzzsprout. We will explore the topic of prayer on today's episode. When you pray, is it spontaneous, liturgical, or centered? Does God really answer prayer? And how should we pray? How we approach prayer may be how we understand our God. Please listen as we talk about prayer. Hello and welcome to this episode of Tellius Talk. I am your host, Wendell Martins, and today we will be talking about prayer. If you've ever read through the Bible, you will have run across many prayers. Prayers by David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Ezra, Job, and maybe even some guy named Jabez. Of course, there are many prayers throughout Scripture, but the one nearly all of us can recite is the Lord's Prayer. Why do we pray, and how should we pray? Last month I asked, when we pray, do we ask for signs and wonders, healing or prosperity? What is the point of such prayers? We should instead be asking for grace. Such prayer is countercultural and shows our level of spiritual maturity. Growing up in a Christian home, I was taught to pray for meals and before bed. These were the principal prayers in my life, and as I grew up, I found it difficult to change those prayer habits. As a result, I have found that I will use other parts of my day to practice prayer, which does not follow the ritualized daily prayers of my youth. Now, that isn't to say that those prayers are not important, but that we need to be aware that we don't fall into the rut of using these ritual-type prayers as our only means of communicating with God. In Bible school, I was taught to approach prayer using the ACTS acronym, A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication. To that, I think I would add I for intercession and perhaps P for petition, but that acronym is not as neat. Over the course of time, the church has developed many aids to prayer. Prayer books, songs, responsive reading, places of meditation, votive candles, incense, rosaries, talismans, amulets, and many more things. Often, people will tell you that they will say a prayer for you during times of struggle. In my mind, I sometimes will think, I wish you wouldn't. I don't know who these people are praying to. And prayer is more than just an earnest hope or a wish. Such a notion strips all meaning from the true understanding of what prayer should be. As far as that goes, prayers to or for our ancestors, saints, or deified articles is idolatry. Why would you pray to Mary if the Holy Spirit intercedes for us? Now, prayer is not unique to Christianity. There are many other examples that we find in the Bible which show prayer in pagan cultures. Some of these examples would be Elijah and the prophets of Baal, which we read in 1 Kings 18, verses 24 through 39, where Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to pray to their God and accept their offerings. And when there is no response, Elijah mocks them. 
Or perhaps the story of Daniel and Darius, which we read in Daniel chapter 6. Darius is approached, and he agrees that if anyone is caught not praying to him, that person would be thrown into a den of lions. Daniel prays anyway, and as such, he is saved by God to show Darius who the true God really is. And then we can look in the New Testament, the altar of the unknown God that we read about in Acts chapter 17, where Paul has his famous discourse on Mars Hill, which is a response to his observation of the altar to the unknown God. Here, people would pray and worship to an unknown deity, and Paul decides to clear up the mystery. Or again, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, where Jesus talks to his disciples about methods of prayer, and he refers to the prayer style of the pagans, or the Gentiles, or the heathen of the time, which would be Babel. Now, when it comes to prayer, we need to look at what Jesus said to his disciples and those who followed him. In Matthew twenty-one thirteen, we read, And he said to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Here, Jesus is referencing Isaiah 56, verse 7, and the Hebrew word used for prayer is tephilah. The term we use in English is intercession or supplication. And Jesus calls the temple a house of prayer, meaning that it is a place of intercession and supplication. The language here is all derived from the worship of the Jews, and Jesus used this language specifically because it was understood by his followers. The meaning is evident to us to explain that under the new covenant, all nations would be admitted to the privileges of God's people. The language of Isaiah 56 understands that the temple is a house of prayer for all people, and anyone who devotes himself to Yahweh is allowed to enter it, regardless of his ethnicity. Yahweh himself will bring foreigners into the temple and receive their sacrifices. This seems contrary to the polemic of Ezra and Nehemiah, but in its historical intent and the prophetic use of Jesus, we see the magnificent duality of Scripture. Jesus is using covenant language here to show the intent of worship among all people. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, Our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our prayer life. It is more important than knowledge and understanding. Do not imagine that I am detracting from the importance of knowledge. I spend most of my life trying to show the importance of having a knowledge of truth and an understanding of it. That is vitally important. There is one thing that is more important, and that is prayer. The ultimate test of my understanding of the scriptural teaching is the amount of time I spend in prayer. In Benedictine monasteries today, the entire Psalter is prayed through every single week. This is a surprisingly common and ancient practice in the Christian church. St. Augustine wrote, If the psalm prays, you pray. If the psalm laments, you lament. If the psalm exalts, you rejoice. If it hopes, you hope. If it fears, you fear, and everything written here is a mirror for us. The Catholic Church has stated that the use of the Psalms as a prayer material is important for the following reasons. David had various experiences throughout his life as he was a shepherd 
a prophet and a king. He was a saint and also a man who fell into great sin. Consequently, the Psalms cover a multitude of experiences that will definitely meet our needs. John Cassian, the 4th century monk and theologian, learned prayer from the monks in the desert of Skyet in Egypt. He says, I saw them in their prayer, and after they finished the psalm, they do not hurry to bow down as an obligation to finish, but I saw them standing for a while and praying a short prayer, then bowing down in awe with their faces on the ground, and then standing again with all thoughts centered in prayer. This idea of praying through the psalms should not be one which strikes us as odd. We should remember that the psalms would have been the prayer book of Jesus. As a young Jewish boy, he would have been taught the scriptures, memorizing them so they came easily to his lips. As a devout teacher, he would have recited the psalms by heart as well. Don't forget, even when he was on the cross, he quoted Psalms 22 verse 1, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The writer Herman C. Watien once asked, Who are we before God? And he concluded that although Paul addresses the Christians in Galatia as children, they were heirs, and a divine inheritance awaited them, but they had not yet come of age. Galatians 4 verses 1 through 2 reads, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is an owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. In the New Testament church, there is a maturation of the believers from the childishness to adulthood. This is very much a parallel of the Jewish nation being called children and the writer of Hebrews addressing the church as mature. Hebrews 6 verse 1 reads, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith. Toward God. The evangelist D.L. Moody stated, A rule I have had for years is to treat the Lord Jesus as a personal friend. He is not a creed, a mere doctrine, but it is He Himself we have. So, if our relationship with God is one as a friend, then why is it that we seem to forget that God is always with us? There is some mistaken belief that God is unreachable deaf, or aloof. The disciples once asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. To this, Jesus responded with a very short prayer, which contained the basics of all prayer. First, we identify who God is. Then we ask that he fulfill his covenant with us. We show him our selfless surrender. And then we ask for spiritual sustenance. We ask for forgiveness we ask for discernment over temptation, and lastly, we ask for salvation. Is this how we pray today? Is there a formula to a successful prayer, or has prayer become a mantra which we recite to scare away evil? Growing up, we were taught that God answers prayer in one of three ways, yes, no, and not now. Sometimes we feel like Habakkuk, who asked the Lord, How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? Eric Raymond, senior pastor at Redeemer Fellowship Church in Boston, wrote, 
Sin is, at its core, pride. Prayer, at its core, is the expression of humility. And sin keeps us from prayer. And when we find ourselves in a season of prayerlessness, it is because there is unrepentant sin clutching us, digging its talons in, feeding our pride with its lies. Sin acts as a barrier between God and us and stops our prayer from reaching Him. When we pray, we should start with an honest exposition of the sin in our lives, ready to be submissive to Him. When we think we hear God say no, He may actually be saying, wait, not yet, or I have something else in mind. And God does say yes, and the funny thing is that we are always looking for grand gestures the unexplainable miracles, and the mind-blowing answers to prayer. But God says yes, so often we fail to recognize it. We pray, your will be done, and it is. We pray, give us your daily bread, and it is. We pray, forgive our debts, and they are. R.C. Sproul wrote, Regardless of whether prayer does any good, if God commands us to pray, we must pray. It is reason enough that the Lord God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, commands it. Yet he not only commands us to pray, but also invites us to make our requests known. James says that we have not because we ask not. He also tells us that the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Time and time again, the Bible says that prayer is an effective tool. It is useful. It works. In Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We are invited to come before God at all times, to express joy and sorrow, happiness and pain, thanks and want. It is at this point that I feel there should be a discussion on what is called contemplative or centering prayer. As far as Western culture is concerned, we tend toward the same stance as St. Therese of Avila, who said, Contemplative prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than a close sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. But what is practiced is a meditative posture where the person in prayer focuses on a word and repeats that word over and over for the duration of the exercise. The purpose, then, is to make your mind clear of outside concerns so that God's voice is more easily heard. This is followed by a time of stillness and listening to God to direct, to give guidance. More succinctly, one is waiting to feel His presence. Thomas Keating wrote in his book, Open Mind, Open Heart, The Contemplative Dimension of the Gospel, The method of centering prayer is disarmingly simple. First sit upright in an attentive but comfortable position. Then, for the next 20 to 30 minutes, gently release any and all thoughts from your mind. In this way, the mind is moved from attention to particular things to an awareness of being as such. Repeat once or twice a day. Now, although this sounds like an innocent exercise, prayer of this type cannot be supported scripturally whatsoever. In fact, it is just the opposite. 
of biblical prayer. In fact, it goes against the definition of prayer. What are you opening your heart and mind to? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There is no suggestion here that we would approach God in prayer without some sort of intentional interaction. Again, in John 16, verses 23 to 24, Jesus says this, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. These verses and many others clearly portray prayer as being comprehensible communication with God. Not an esoteric and mystical meditation. Mysticism by its nature is purely subjective, and there is no truth or fact associated with it which we can rely on. Contemplative prayer has only one focus, conjuring some mystical experience with God. Prayer has two basic forms. Spontaneous and prepared. Spontaneous prayer can be seen in many places through the Bible. Nehemiah, when hearing of the destruction of Jerusalem, has a genuine and heartfelt prayer which includes confession of sin and a request for God to be with him. We could also say that there was a spontaneous tongue of prayer uttered by those who received the Holy Spirit during Pentecost. Conversely, the Lord's Prayer follows a prepared form, a more liturgical approach to prayer. The same could be said about using the ACTS acronym to guide one through their time of prayer. However we choose to pray, we must remember that we are speaking directly to our God, the creator and sustainer of life. We do not come before him flippantly, but in a manner of holy fear, reverent and faithful, transparent and saturated by his love, like a child before his father, crying, Abba, Father, hear me. Father God, we come before you. We confess our sins to you. We pray that you would work in our lives to think of you, to live in a godly way, sharing the truth of your Son and the truth of the gospel with all that we meet. Be with us as we go into the day, into our work, into our world. Protect us and also give us opportunity to live as Christians. We pray this in your name. Amen. Next week, we will be talking about miracles. I hope you join us as we talk about those things we don't understand. We'll talk to you next month. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Next month, Telly's Talk will be talking about miracles. We know that the ministry of Jesus was punctuated with many miracles, but do miracles still happen today? The answer is harder to answer than you might think. Don't forget to visit our Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube pages. We are now on Twitter as well. Please check out at Tellius T and follow us there. Our book, Six Good Questions, is now available. Please look for it on Amazon. 
As we get ready for our year in review podcast, it would be good to hear from you. Send us an email at telliestalk at gmail.com. Keep us in your prayers as we prepare our podcast every month. We look forward to sharing with you again. Do we believe what we believe we believe?